Hi there. My name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. This episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which we are not holding public worship. The preached texts are included in the audio for this episode, but you can still find a link to them in the show notes or description. Our reading for today comes from the seventh chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul writes, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and in my own inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here ends the reading. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Well, it's July. How are your New Year's resolutions coming along? (laughs) If you can think back, what, six, seven months ago, many people in our culture resolved to do something differently this year. Now, of course, nothing... (laughs) nothing went quite like we planned it this year. But if you've let your resolutions slide, then really it's probably like most other years. Of all the Christian apologetics, that's like arguments defending the faith, explaining it, and of all the claims we might make on God, each other, creation, there may be nothing more evident in all our Christian claims than the reality of sin. And we see it even in things like New Year's resolutions. Not just there, but in our (laughs) diets, in our turning a new leaf, in our recovery, in our second chances. Luther quite famously cited a storm as the reason he became a monk. Not just the storm, but because fearing for his life, he swore to St. Anna, the mother of St. Mary, that if she saved him, he would commit his life to God in that way. And he did, and he followed through. And he repeatedly risked his reputation, his livelihood, even his life for the sake of his beliefs, his faith, his commitments to God. And yet, despite being an example of someone who kept that resolution, he described humanity as simul justicet peccator, fancy pants church talk that could be translated always saint and sinner, or simultaneously justified and guilty. Even freed from sin, death, and the devil, he couldn't deny that Something held on. His sinful self was still in there somewhere, pushing its way out. Now, he felt that way because that's how it feels to be human. 
You can commit yourself. You can know the right thing to do. You can set good goals. You can even set out to hold one another accountable. We'll do it together. But by June, by July, we forget we even made those resolutions. Most of us don't even keep them till February. Instead, we do the things we hate. Now, the book of Romans is sometimes called the Gospel according to Paul or the Summa of St. Paul. In that case, we just mean it contains like the totality of his, his faith, all the ways he could describe it. The arguments and implications of his faith in Christ laid out one by one. And while the gospel writers tell the story, Paul makes it as an argument. And those arguments are many and varied themselves. So knowing that some of his audience is Jewish, he brings in Abraham in Genesis, how Genesis talked about Abraham. Knowing that some of his audience is Gentile, Greeks and Romans, he brings in the rhetoric of well, philosophy, Greek philosophy, knowing, uh, knowing beyond that that most of his audience that will hear the letter read aloud because, well, they're mostly illiterate. Most were uneducated in those days. And in light of that, knowing they'll hear it, he just he repeats the same point over and over in slightly different ways, trying to make it stick once and for all. He's got all these audiences in mind. And today's iteration of the Gospels and the arguments starts with the sin we know we have. I know I should pick option A because I hate option B, and yet here I go again, picking option B. Paul argues that if you can see that in yourself, you know there's something wrong and then offers the solution. Well, let's back up a little bit because we could use some historical context, as always, and to dispel away this is often misread. We got the start of this law of the flesh versus the law of faith stuff. Well, we would have had it last week. I didn't actually read it, but <laughs> we're in a little bit of a series in Romans on the side here. And Paul's talking in Hellenistic terms. That's the Greek rhetoric that was popular in the Roman Empire. In that culture, everyone was a patron or a client. Everyone was subject to someone else. If you belong to this school or that state or this religion, that dictated much of how you lived your life. The idea that you're a free, autonomous individual and you just make all your choices, that idea might have been floating around out there. It's obviously the way we usually see each other today, but it wasn't how they saw each other back then. So when Paul uses these expressions like the body, the flesh, his own self, his members interchangeably, and then sets them against like Christ, the spirit, the gospel, he doesn't mean that your body is bad and your spirit is good. Rather, he means in this patron-client relationship, you could be subject to a few different sources. You could be a disciple or student of a few different teachers. You could be the member of a variety of political states. You could submit to your animalistic instincts, your natural state, or to God. The human condition appears universal then in that in this regard, we are all born beholden to sin. So much so, tying into this patron-client worldview, that Paul sees sin as a supernatural force bearing down upon us, demanding our loyalty. We're born without a choice in the matter. It dictates some of our decisions for us and defines our identity without our consent. But it's not as though we don't notice. Now and again, we know what we should do, but don't and hate what we do instead. Good rhetorical argument there. 
Pointing ahead then, as is hinted at the end of our reading, the good news of Jesus Christ is that because of what God has done through the incarnate word, every human being is faced with a new alternative, a new patron, a new law to replace the old and therefore throw off the weight of sin and instead take on the yoke of Christ. In this life, we are nevertheless imperfect citizens of this new kingdom of God. We are simul peccator, always guilty. Okay, so where's the good news then? Why are we so abruptly giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ if we still sin? Well, we're looking for gospel in a few places. God has freed humanity, all of us, from our animalistic nature. We each have it in us to be better, to do better than murderous brutes would. That's good news for everyone and for each other. God has also offered to be a support for you in your attempts to order your life better. No, it's not a free pass to perfection, but it's a powerful tool in your toolbox. If you've got one of those resolutions you really ought to keep, use the tools. Give it up to God. Give it over to God. But really, the big one, the big place to find gospel, at least for today, is just a matter of who you are. What's your identity? It'd be too easy to look at ourselves and think, well, I'm the decisions I make, and I hate those decisions, so who I am is something to be despised. But that's wrong. Because the law of Christ, our patron, that means we're judged according to his law, according to grace. You're not defined by your sin. Who you really are is a beloved child of God, and nothing can ever change that. Sure, sin still lurks. Yeah, bad habits still pop up, but they're temporary. The love of God is forever. When all is revealed, the next age has come. It will be undeniable. You are not the things you do and hate. You are not your failed and forgotten resolutions. You are instead like a most precious gem, valued and worthy, simply for being you. In this new relationship with God through Christ, that's who you are. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio in my sermons does not always come with proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my own seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study, and I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave, fairly often. Some credit is due to at least one of those other sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other. Be responsible and have a great rest of the week. Thanks.